Chapter Twelve of Charles the Bold, Last Duke of Burgundy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Desanzo. Charles the Bold, Last Duke of Burgundy by Ruth Putnam. Chapter Twelve An Easy Victory, fourteen sixty eight it was in the midst of heavy rains that the journey was made to namur and then on to the environs of liege grim was the weather befitting in all probability charles's own mood the king's escort was confined to very few besides the scottish guard but a body of three hundred troopers was permitted to follow him at a distance while the faithful dermatin across the border kept himself closely informed of every incident connected with the march that his scouts could gather and in readiness to fall upon burgundian possessions at a word of alarm while he restrained his ardor for the moment in obedience to louis's anxious command by the fourth week of october the franco-burgundian party were settled close to liege in straggling camps separated from each other by hills and uneven ground long was the discussion in council meeting as to the best mode of procedure liege was absolutely helpless in the face of this coalition wide breaches made her walls useless moats she had never possessed for digging was well-nigh impossible on her rocky site covered by mud and slime from the overflow of the meuse on account of this evident weakness the king advised dismissing half the army as needless advice that was not only rejected immediately but which excited charles doubts of the king's good faith over a week passed and feeble liege continued obstinate while each division of the army manoeuvred to be first in the assault for the sake of the plunder but advance was very difficult for the soldiers were impeded in their movements by the slime wild were some of the night skirmishes over the uneven slippery ground and amidst the little sheltering hills on one occasion quote, a great many were hurt and among the rest the prince of orange whom i had forgotten to name before who behaved that day like a courageous gentleman for he never moved foot off the place he first possessed the duke too did not lack in courage but he failed sometimes in order-giving and to say the truth he behaved himself not so advisedly as many wished because of the king's presence there is no doubt that charles entertained increasingly sinister suspicions of his guests he thought the king might either try to enter the city ahead of him and manage to placate his ancient allies by a specious explanation or else he might succeed in effecting his escape without fulfilling his compact at last charles appointed sunday october thirtieth for an assault on the twenty ninth his own quarters were in a little suburb of mean low houses with rough ground and vineyards separating his camp from the city between his house and that of the king both humble dwellings was an old granary occupied by a picked burgundian force of three hundred men under special injunctions to keep close watch over the royal guest and see that he played no sudden trick to further this purpose of espionage they had made a breach in the walls with heavy blows of their picks the men were wearied with all their marching and skirmishing and in order to have them in fighting trim on the morrow charles had ordered all alike to turn in and refresh themselves the exhausted troops gladly obeyed this injunction charles was disarmed and sleeping so too were philip de Comines and the few attendants that lay within the narrow ducal chamber only a dozen pickets mounted guard in the room over charles's little apartment and kept their tired eyes open by playing at dice 
on that saturday night when charles was thus prudently gathering strength for the final tussle the people of liege also indulged in repose counting on sunday being a day of rest that is the major part of the burgher folk did within city limits but another plan was on foot among some of the inhabitants of an outlying region an attack on the burgundian camp was planned by a band from franchement a wild and wooded district south of the episcopal sea the natives there had all the characteristics of mountaineers although the heights of their rugged country reached only modest altitudes these invaders were fortunate in obtaining as guides the owners of the very houses requisitioned for the lodgings of the two princes straight to their goal they progressed through paths quite unknown to the foe and therefore unwatched the highlanders made a mistake in not rushing headlong to the royal lodgings where in the first confusion they might have accomplished their design upon the lives of louis and of charles or at least have taken the two prisoners but a pause at a french nobleman's tent created a disturbance which roused the archers in the granary the latter sallied out to meet with a fierce counter-attack in order to confuse them the mountaineers echoed the burgundian cries vive bourgogne vive le roi et tué tué and they were not always immediately identified by their harsh liege accent the highlanders were far outnumbered by the burgundians and it was only by dint of their desperate courage and by reason of the pitchy darkness and of the locality with its unknown roughness that the former inflicted the damage that they did Camines and his fellows helped the duke into his cuirass and stood by his person while the king's bodyguard of scottish archers quote, proved themselves good fellows who never budged from their master's feet and shot arrow upon arrow into the darkness wounding more burgundians than liegeois the first to fall was charles own host the guide of the marauders to his own cottage door there were many more victims and no mercy it was indeed an encounter characterized by the passions of war and the conditions of a mere burglarious attack on private houses quaking with fear was the king he thought that if the duke should now fail to make a complete conquest of liege his own fate would hang in the balance at a hasty council meeting held that night charles was very doubtful as to the expediency of carrying out his proposed assault upon the city very distrustful of each other were the allies a fact that caused philip de Camines to comment quote, scarcely fifteen days had elapsed since these two had sworn a definitive peace and solemnly promised to support each other loyally but confidence could not enter in any way end quote. charles gave louis permission to retire to namur and wait until the duke had reduced the recalcitrant burghers once and for all louis thought it wiser to keep close to charles's own person until they parted company forever and the morrow found him in the duke's company as he marched on to liege quote, my opinion is says Camines, that he would have been wise to depart that night he could have done it for he had a hundred archers of his guard various gentlemen of his household and near at hand three hundred men-at-arms doubtless he was stayed by consideration of honour he did not wish to be accused of cowardice end quote. olivier de la marche also present as the princely pair entered liege heard the king say quote, march on my brother for you are the luckiest prince alive end quote. as they entered the gates louis shouted lustily vive bourgogne to the infinite dismay of his former friends the burghers of liege 
the remainder of the history of that dire sunday morning differs from that of other assaults only in harrowing details and the extremity of the pitilessness and ferocity manifested by the conquerors charles had previously spared churches and protected the helpless above all he had severely punished all ill-treatment of respectable women little trace of this former restraint was to be seen on this occasion the inhabitants were destroyed and banished by dozens those who fled from their homes leaving their untasted breakfasts to be eaten by the intruding soldiers those who were scattered through the numerous churches those who attempted to defend the breaches in the walls all alike were treated without mercy the cathedral of saint lambert charles did endeavor to protect Quote, the duke himself went thither and one man i saw him kill with his own hand whereupon all the company departed and that particular church was not pillaged but at the end the men who had taken refuge there were captured as well as the wealth of the church at about midday charles joined louis at the episcopal palace where the latter had found apartments better suited to his rank than the rude huts that had sheltered him for the past few days the king was in good spirits and enjoyed his dinner in spite of the unsavory scenes that were still in progress about him he manifested great joy in the successful assault and was lavish in his praises of the duke's courage taking care that his admiring phrases should be promptly reported to his cousin his one great preoccupation however was to return to his own realm after dinner the duke and he made good cheer together Quote, if the king had praised his works behind his back still more loud was he in his open admiration and the duke was pleased no telling sign of friendship for charles had louis spared that day so terrified was he lest some testimony from his ancient protégés might prove his ruin let the word be burgundy he had cried to his followers when the attack began tue tue vive burgogne there is another contemporaneous historian who somewhat apologetically relates the following incident of this interview in this friendly sabbath-day chat charles asked louis how he ought to treat liege when his soldiers had finished their work no trace of kindliness towards his old friends was there in the king's answer Quote, once my father had a high tree near his house inhabited by crows who had built their nests thereon and disturbed his repose by their chatter he had the nests removed but the crows returned and built anew several times was this repeated then he had the tree cut down at the roots after that my father slept quietly four or five days passed before louis dared press the question of his return home the following note written in italian dated on the day of the assault is significant of his state of mind louis the eleventh to the count de foix Quote, monseigneur the prince to-day my brother of burgundy and i entered in great multitude and with force into this city of liege and because i have great desire to return i advise you that on next tuesday morning i will depart hence and i will not cease riding without making any stops until i reach there i pray you to let me know what is to be done writ at liege october thirtieth roi de la leure punctilious was louis in his assurances to his host that if he could be of any further aid he hoped his cousin would command him if there were indeed nothing he thought his best plan would be to go to paris and have the late treaty duly recorded and published to ensure its validity 
Charles grumbled a little, but finally agreed to speed his parting guest after the treaty had been again read aloud to the king, so that he might dissent from any one of its articles or ever after hold his peace. Quite ready was Louis to reconfirm everything sworn to at Peronne. Just as he was departing, he put one more query. Quote, if perchance my brother now in Brittany should be dissatisfied with the share I accord him out of love to you, what do you want me to do? The duke answered abruptly and without thought, If he does not wish to take it, but if you content him otherwise, I will trust to you too. From this question and answer arose great things, as you shall hear later. So the king departed at his pleasure, and Monsieur de Corde and de Marie, grand bailiff of Hainault, escorted him out of ducal territory. Quote. Quote, o wonderful and memorable crime of this king of the French! declares a contemporaneous Liège sympathizer. Scarcely anything so bad can be found in ancient annals or in modern history. What could be more stupid or more perfidious, or a better instance of infamy, than for a king who had incited a people to arms against the Burgundians to act thus for the sake of his own safety? Not once but many times had he pledged them his faith, offering them defense and assistance against the same Burgundians and now when they are overwhelmed and confounded by this burgundian duke this king actually cooperates with their foe to their damage wears that foe's insignia and dares to hide himself behind those emblems and assist to destroy those to whom he himself had furnished aid and subsidies with pledges of good faith i am ashamed to commit this to writing and to hand it down to posterity knowing that it will seem incredible to many but it is so notorious throughout france and is confirmed by so many adequate witnesses who have seen and heard these things that no room is left for doubt of their veracity except to one desiring to ignore the truth november second is the date of louis's departure it needs no stretch of the imagination to believe the words of his little swiss page diesbach when he says that on reaching french soil louis dismounted and kissed the ground in a paroxysm of joy that he was his own man again devoutly too he gave thanks to god for helping him in his need still this joy was concealed under euphemistic phrases in his correspondence on november fifth he wrote again to the duke of milan from beaumont quote, we went in person with the duke against the liegeois on account of their rebellion and offence and the city being reduced by force to the power of the duke we have left him in some part of liege as we were anxious to return to our kingdom of france in january fourteen sixty nine guillaume toustain the brother of the faithful secretary aloysius toustain who had written several of louis's letters from liege goes to pavia to finish his studies and louis writes to the duke of milan asking him to assure his protege a pleasant reception in the university the ratification of the treaty took place duly at Paris on Saturday, November 19th, and the king also sternly forbade the circulation of any, quote, paintings, rondelles, ballads, songs, or defamatory pamphlets, end quote, about Charles. The same informant tells us that loquacious birds were put under a ban. Quote, and on the same day in behalf of the king and by virtue of his commission addressed to a young man of paris named henri perdriel all the magpies jays and chouettes caged or otherwise were taken in charge and a record was made of all the places where the said birds were taken and also all that they knew how to say like laurent 
Payard, etc., va au va, perette donne-moi à boire, and various other phrases that they had been taught. Abbe Legrand thinks that perette was meant for Perron instead of a mistress of Louis of that name, but this conjecture seems the only basis for the very deep-rooted tradition that Perron was a word Louis could not bear to have uttered. Quote, in the way of justice there is nothing going on here wrote one anthony de loisy from liege to the president of burgundy except every day they hang and draw such liegeois as are found or have been taken prisoners and have no money to ransom themselves the city is well plundered nothing remains but rubbish for example i have not been able to find a sheet of paper fit for writing to you but with all my pains could get nothing but some leaves from an old book Charles decided that nothing should be left standing except churches and ecclesiastical buildings. On November ninth, before the final fires were lit, he departed from the wretched town and went down the left bank of the Meuse to an abbey on the river where he paused for the night. Four leagues distant from the city was this place, and from it were plainly visible the flames of the burning buildings on that grim St. Hubert's Day, a day when Liège had been wont to give vent to merriment. Quote, from all the dangers that had encompassed him, Charles escaped with his life simply because his hour had not yet struck, and because he was God's chosen instrument to punish the sinning city, end quote, is the verdict of one chronicler who does not spare his fellow liegeois for their follies while he profoundly pities their fate. Out of the many contemporaneous accounts, a portion of a private letter from the Duke's cup-bearer to his sister is added. Quote, very dear sister with a very good heart i recommend myself to you and to all my good friends men and women in our parts not forgetting my beau-père martin stephan and dan gautier pray know that thanks to god i and all my people are safe and sound as to my horses one was wounded and another is sick in the hands of the marshals at namur and the others are thin enough and have no grain to eat except hay the weather has, indeed, been enough to strike a chill to the hearts of men and horses. Since we left Burgundy there have not been three fine days in succession, and we are in a worse state than wolves. You already know how we passed through Lorraine and Ratelois without troubling about Salazar or other French captains, nor the other Lorrainers either, although they were under orders to attack us and were no more afraid of us than we of them. As we approached the territory of Hainaut, Monsieur the Duke sent Monsieur Pierre de Arcambault to us to show us what road to take. He told us that the Duke had made a treaty with the King, who had visited him, news that filled us with astonishment. After skirmishing for several days, we reached the faubourgs of Liège, and remained there three or four days under arms, with no sleep and little food, and our horses standing in the rain with no shelter but the trees while we were thus lodged the king and the duke with a fair escort arrived and took up their quarters in certain houses near the faubourg constant firing was interchanged for several days sallies were assayed and men were slain finally a direct attack was made on the king and monseigneur and there were more of their people than ours and that night monseigneur was in great danger the following sunday at nine a m we began the assault in three separate quarters it was a fine thing to see the men-at-arms march on the walls of the said city, some climbing and others scaling them with ladders. 
the standards of monseigneur the marshal and monseigneur de ranty who had been stationed together in the faubourgs were the first within the said city which contained at that moment sixteen to eighteen thousand combatants who were surprised when they saw their walls scaled in a moment we entered crying burgundy and city gained ever so many of their people were slain and drowned in their flight we flew to reach the market-place and the church of st lambert where a number of prisoners were taken and thrown into the water our ensign stood in the midst of the fray on the market-place in the hopes that they would rally for a combat but they rallied only to flee while we held our position on the square several were created knights all the churches more than four hundred were pillaged and plundered it is rumored that they will be burnt together with the rest of the city piteous it is to see what ill is wrought the king stayed in the city with monseigneur two or three days then he departed it is said for brussels to await my said lord it is a great thing to have seen the puissance of my master which is great enough to defeat an emperor i believe the burgundians will shortly return to burgundy i paid my respects to my said lord who received me very well at present i am listed among those whose term is almost expired and i am ready to follow him wherever he wishes until my service is out which will be soon i would have written before had i had any one to send it by pray write me about yourself by the first comer praying our lord beloved sister to keep you written in liege november eighth fourteen sixty eight jehan de mazil this sober letter and other accounts by reliable witnesses agree as to the terrible havoc wrought in the city by the assault on october thirtieth and by determined and systematic measures of destruction both during charles's ten days sojourn for the express purpose of completing the punishment and after his departure yet the result assuredly fell short of the intention the destruction was not complete as was that of Dinant vitality remained apart from the ecclesiastical nucleus intentionally preserved by the duke having watched the tongues of flame lap the unfortunate city charles turned with his army towards franchement that rugged hill country which had proved a nest of hardy and persistent antagonists to burgundian pretensions jehan de mazia is in close attendance and gives further details of the pitiless fashion in which charles carried out his purpose of leaving no seed of resistance to germinate four nights and three days they sojourned in a certain little village where there was a hard frost and where without unarming they quote, slept under the trees and drank water end quote. meantime a small party was dispatched by the duke to attack the stronghold of franchement the despairing liegeois who had taken refuge there abandoned it and it was taken by assault a few more days and the duke was assured that liege and her people were shorn of their strength when the remnant of survivors began to creep back to the city and tried to recover what was left of their property many were the questions to be settled lawsuits succeeded to turmoils and lingered on for years in the lordly manner of conquerors charles too demanded reimbursement for his trouble in bending these free citizens to his illegal will the reinstated bishop wanted his rents and legal perquisites all difficult to collect and many were the ponderous documents that passed on the subject how justly pained sounds charles remonstrance on the default of payment of taxes to his friend the city's lord Quote, therefore he writes in consideration of these things taking into account the terror of our departure to brussels last january 
we decide my brother and i that the payment of both gabel and poll tax must be forced and that we cannot permit the retarding of such taxes under any color or pretense at the request of our brother and cousin we order the inhabitants of the said territories to pay both gabel and poll tax all that is due from the time it was imposed and for the time to come under penalty of the confiscation of their goods and their persons it was the old story of bricks without straw taxes and rents for property ruthlessly destroyed were so easy to this extent of tyranny had duke philip never gone and undoubtedly this treatment of liege was a step towards charles's final disaster so much hatred was excited against him that his adherents fell off one by one when his luck began to fail him no omen of misfortune was to be seen at this time however that month of november saw him master absolute wherever he was and he used his power autocratically at we he had a number of prisoners executed at louvain at brussels he gave fresh examples of his relentlessness as an overlord End of chapter twelve